welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 180. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, man, it's been an exciting evening here. We just survived a thunderstorm. Well, okay. It was uh, thunderstormy for like 10 minutes. Uh, And now it's over. And we lived and our power stayed on. And all of those good things. Made my dog nervous. She had to go out and pee really bad. So she braved the storm to go out and do that. But we all survived. We all peed. Everything's good. Yeah, that's about all I got for an opening segment tonight. So let's get on with the rest of the show. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Checking in as we always do with our friend Mad Mike. Let's call him a friend of the show. I'm pretty sure he's never listened to the show, but why not? Let's call him a friend of the show. Oh man, but what if he has listened? What if he's listening right now? What if he knows all the stuff we've said about him? Ooh, what if on the side of his rocket he's gonna paint Atari Bytes? How cool would that be? That would be like the ultimate, you know, advertising for the show. That would be so cool. Over there on the uh, Facebook page on June 28th, Rocket Man himself posted, Why does the Earth look flat? It's perspective. We are small and the Earth is very, very large. Brooks Silva Braga and author Tom Nichols from CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, Oh, I guess maybe he's quoting them? I don't know. I'm assuming that's what uh, Tom Nichols told Brooks Braga? I don't know. On June 26, they posted Bill Inman of the Rocket Crew on why he loves steam rockets. The reason I love steam rockets... I don't know what this guy actually sounds like. That's the voice I'm using. The reason I love steam rockets so much is they're just so stinking simple. Okay. Do they basically work with, like, steam locomotives? Gotta have a guy shoveling coal into your rocket as it flies up into space? That seems a little weird. I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Uh, And that's it for... Well, I guess I should mention that Brooks Braga thing came with a a video link from, I guess, the CBS Sunday Morning Show that I I didn't watch the show or watch this video link. If you'd like to go over there to the Rocket Man Facebook page, you can do that. And as always, the uh, same postings over there on Twitter. So I just typed in, you know, what's the rocket launch date? And everything that comes up says the date's been moved. It was going to be in February, and it got moved to, well, it was going to be January, then it got moved to February. Then at the Flat Earth Expo in Vegas, he was supposed to announce a new date, but I can't see anything that says that he did. Of course, the most recent thing that the Flat Earth Society posted on Facebook was on May 21st. Something about a glowing orb that Trump touched in Saudi Arabia? I don't know what's going on there. Before that, on March 5th, they posted the uh, theorized donut-shaped Earth. I don't know what's going on here. I think you're comfortable. I think you're safe to assume that uh, the Earth is still round. So you, you can relax, guys. We're okay for a little while longer. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's mad, Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes 
shout out to new fan Jason Lindsay, who gets the new fan of the year award, which I'll hasten to add is a fictional award that doesn't come with anything other than me saying, welcome to the show, Jason. He's been sending messages recently about how much he likes the show, and I appreciate that. Not only that, he has gone back to episode one and is on a on a tear, and every once in a while I'll get a, a message saying, hey, I'm on episode you know, 14 or whatever, and he'll make a comment on it. So he appears to be going through all now 180 episodes. So, you know, big props to you, Jason. You clearly have a lot of time on your hands. A lot of ear time, anyway. So, initially Jason wrote, Hi there, my name is Jason Lindsay. I just discovered your podcast on Spotify yesterday. Shout out to all you Spotify listeners. I've only heard a few so far and I'm loving it. Thank you, Jason. The 2600 is my first love and system I started out with. I have a lot of the retro systems that I collect for. Uh, And he's not kidding, because later when we were chatting, he mentioned how many he had and which ones they were, and it's impressive. Going on, I have a lot of the retro systems I collect for. I also go by uh, RetroJason24. Hope you don't mind me saying that, Jason. I have a Facebook page where I display perlers that I do. Mostly video game themed, but also do comic book, sci-fi, etc. I'm going to have to listen to the back programs while working on my perlers. And I would definitely check out your other show about Charlie Brown. That would be It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, which airs monthly on the 15th. Uh, let me know what you think of that, too, Jason. I won't read all the uh, uh, comments. We've had a, a substantial amount of back and forth. But suffice it to say, every so often I get him checking in, and he'll say things like, So I decided to start at the very beginning the other night. I'm quoting him, by the way. With episode zero, right, right now I'm on number nine, Superman. This one confused the crap out of me, especially because I got the game loose. When I first started with the 2600, I got most my, of my games from pawn shops loose, so a lot of times I was lost on a game. Um, he mentions the thing about how, uh, you know, the Superman label with the wording in yellow being rare. Sadly, that's not the one that I have. Then he has a comment about episode 10 of Asteroids. You read an email from a friend talking about Ms. Pac-Man. Hi, Sean. That's you, by the way. And how it came uh, to be from came to be from a game called Crazy Auto. Had no idea and wondered, did you look at the video of the game in action on YouTube? And they sent me a link to the video of, of uh, Crazy Auto. Later it was episode 19, Berserk. Then it was the Firefighter episode. He didn't give me a number. I didn't look it up. Apparently in that episode I had asked about other single-player games that use two controllers. And he points out that Spy Hunter apparently is one that does. Then it was episode 24. He just sent that like an hour ago as I'm recording this. Cosmic Arc, I quickly jumped to number 28 Atlantis because I was going to ask you if you knew about the connection of Atlantis to Cosmic Arc, but only to hear someone beat me to it. I knew I never knew it till a few years ago when I heard about it on a YouTube video. Um, point is, Jason is committed to listening to these episodes, which I greatly appreciate. Um, it's nice to know that uh, people are listening. Uh, like a lot of podcasters, I cringe a little bit when people tell me that they're going back and listening to the really early stuff because you know I was a baby podcaster then, and uh, my abilities as a podcaster were not so great. Some might argue they're not so great now. Um, 
but they were even less so back then. The production value probably wasn't what it is now. Some might argue the production value isn't anything to sneeze at now either. There isn't anything to, uh, to write home about now either. But there you go. So thanks, Jason. Thanks, everybody else, for listening. I hope you continue to do so. What else? Oh, Henry got a shout-out from the Vertical Blank podcast tonight as I was getting ready to record. Henry, I'll add, is here but not here. He's in the background. He's watching a YouTube video with the headphones on and practicing some magic. So he's not really on the show tonight, but he is in the room. So yeah, Jeff Fulton uh, just shouted out, uh, We absolutely love it when you bring your kids on the podcast. We're talking about kid stuff here ultimately, and that's what, and what, and they make it fun. It's all rooted in the joy we had as and with our kids, uh, which I absolutely agree with. I made a comment on the show last week that anyone who's, who's listening to this podcast for a serious, very serious discussion of video games is probably looking in the wrong place. Um, I don't take any of this real seriously. I take putting the show together seriously and the stories that I present and all of that seriously, but it's video games. Um, so I like just goofing around with them. I like having the kids come by and goof around with them, and I assure you that I will continue to do so. But it's always nice to hear from you guys that, that you like what we do here and the people we do it with. So, all right. And that appears to be it out of the old mailbag this week. Why don't we get on with the rest of the show? This week's game is... Journey with me to the year 2019. The person sitting in this chair has the power to alter the course of history. Conflicts are now settled with remote-controlled robot tanks. Tank after tank, through nights and days and fog and rain. And the smallest mistake could mean defeat. Of course, it'll probably never come to this. After all, who could take the pressure? Could you? For the Atari 2600, robot tank designed by Alan Miller for Activision. Robot Tank from Activision, 1983. Robot Tank from Activision, 1983, comes with a scary-looking manual. The cover is all black with you know, scary writing on it. Warning, official orders, code name, Robot Tank. And there's a picture of a dude sort of in shadow, and he's got a, a folder marked Confidential in front of him. It's all very, you know, very war games, which I think also came out in 83, if I'm not mistaken. I could look it up, but, you know, I'm not gonna. From the office of the president. Greetings. As you well know, this office is huge. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I'll start over. Greetings. As you well know, sophisticated enemy robot tanks are quickly advancing cross-country, firing at will and stopping at nothing. You must command your own robot tanks to stop their charge of chaos. Avoid being hit by enemy fire or your robot tanks may be destroyed. The rebels are currently headed towards downtown Santa Clara. Only you can stop them. Okay, I have many thoughts here. Santa Clara? Really? Also, Mr. President, respectfully, why are you issuing orders through a video game manual? That does not seem secure to me. Um, Next, as we know from the uh, Robot Tank commercial, it's 2019 when this is going on. I may not have a finger on the pulse of military hardware, but I'm pretty sure robot tanks not in active use right now. Perhaps being tested. We know, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. We know we have unmanned drones, right? We got Boeing aircraft that can't stay in the air, um, but those are piloted by humans, except when the computer takes over. 
So maybe those are kind of like robot planes. Maybe, I guess I wouldn't know if we have robot tanks. Anyway, in the military, or, or recently in the military, if you can tell me if I need to be worried about robot tanks mowing down Santa Clara, or anywhere else for that matter, let me know. I'll go on. So we hook up the video game system. With the power off, we put the game cartridge in, we turn the power on, and if there's no picture, uh, we say a lot of bad words. And then we check the connection of the game system to the TV, plug the joystick into the left controller port. This is a solo mission. Not Han Solo. Uh, solo as in all by myself. Uh, the game select switch and difficulty switches are not used in this game. Using the joystick with the red fire button in the upper left position. God, I love that instruction. If I were to get a tattoo, that would be the tattoo I would get. Because I'm kind of lame. Anyway, move the joystick left to maneuver and or aim your robot tank left. Move the joystick right to maneuver and or aim your robot tank right. Push the joystick forward to roll your tank forward. Push the joy pull the joystick back to retreat. Press the red fire button to shoot your robot tank cannon at rampaging, rampaging enemy t robot tanks. Hold the button down for continuous fire. To begin play, press the game reset switch. Because if you don't, uh, it's going to be a really dull game, it seems to me. Scoring. A small tank appears at the top of your screen for each enemy robot tank you destroy. A square with the number 12 appears at the top of your screen each time a squadron of 12 enemy robot tanks are destroyed. You begin with one active robot tank and three reserves. Re reserve robot tanks begin operation in perfect condition. You earn one bonus robot tank for every enemy squadron destroyed. The maximum number of, robot, of bonus robot tanks allowed at any one time is 12. You may lose your robot tank when it is hit by enemy fire. Your video scrambles with static interference when this happens. Some hits may only damage your tank. See damage sensors in special features. Game ends when all of your robot tanks are destroyed or all 12 enemy squadrons are destroyed. So it's interesting, this game has a defined end, right? Obviously if you get lose all your lives, it ends, but it also has a defined end in the sense of you have the 12 squadrons. Once you destroy the 12 squadrons, it's over. You don't just keep going indefinitely until you lose all your lives. They have a, a you know, a, a screen capture of the, uh, all the different things on the screen. The military clock, the enemy robot tank, the sensors, radar treads, video cannons, reinforcement tanks, radar scan, destroyed enemy tanks. The colors are very, very pretty. See? Don't you love those? Hey, in the back. Come on, pay attention. Alright. I know it's Sunday night, but really. You know, we can't be falling asleep now. Special features of robot tank. Your electronic eye. Your robot tank's electronic eye lets you view the battlefield from a remote control station. Perspectives are real. The size of the enemy robot tanks and their fire increase on your remote screen as they get dangerously close. From the first glimmer of sunrise beyond the gray dusk and into darkened night, the enemy attacks relentlessly. For you, sleep, for you, sleep becomes a distant memory. The military, military clock counts the hours and days and can be used as a tool for strategy. How long can you go on? Fog, rain, and snow are reported to you through the pre-dawn computer updates. In the snow, your tank will slip and slide. Rain significantly impedes your tank's mobility. In blanketing fog, enemy robot tanks are only visible when they are right in front of you, so take advantage of bright sunshine while it lasts. The circular radar scan at the bottom of your screen is your window on the entire battlefield. Your tank is at the center of the scan, and the moving dot describes location, distance, and directional movement of the enemy robot tanks. 
Enemy tanks only fire rockets when they are in front of your tank. Your tank is safe when the enemy tank is behind you, when the moving dot is below the center of the scan. I'll admit the little bit that I played this before the uh, show today, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the radar. Damage sensors. Video, cannons, radar, and treads can be damaged by en enemy hits. Sensors report the damage by flashing on your control panel. If it's video, obviously your view of the battlefield blacks out periodically. Cannons never completely go out, but when damaged, don't count on them firing all the time. Radar scan and operative. You must depend on your video to fix enemy position. And if the treads are damaged, mobility is brought to a crawl. Movement is almost entirely frozen in the snow. Before warned, damaged tanks can never be repaired. Your tank's cannon fire is continuously targetable while it's in flight. It will follow the direction of your crosshairs. Also, enemy rocket fire can be prematurely detonated by intercepting it with your own cannon fire. Destroying an enemy robot tank automatically explodes its in-flight rockets. To successfully stop the rampage of enemy robot tanks, you must first become completely at ease with your own machine. There will be enough tension in the throes of battle. Start by practicing simple maneuvers. Dodging enemy fire is a vital defensive move. Find out how close you can get and still have time to avoid oncoming fire. The radar scanner is a very important monitoring device, except apparently to me, because as I said, I kind of ignored it. It is the only consistent way to know where the enemy is located at night or an unforgiving fog. La-di-da. Some of us like a little mystery in our lives. Hmm. How to join Activision's tank corps. Oh, here we go. Another patch thing that I never got to be part of. For service beyond the call of duty, you are eligible to join Activision's tank corps. If you destroy at least 48 enemy robot tanks, four squadrons, then you've earned the Medal of Merit patch. Succeed in destroying 60 enemy robot tanks, five squadrons, and you proudly deserve the Cross of Excellence patch. Distinguish yourself by destroying 72 enemy robot tanks, six squadrons, and your meritorious achievement decorates you with the Star of Honor patch. Please send us a picture of your tour de force TV screen, and we'll issue you the appropriate, appropriate tank core patch, along with our salute and congratulations. I'm picturing some poor people working for minimum wage in some Activision warehouse somewhere, seeing their opening envelopes, risking paper cuts, and seeing their counting, squinting at the horrible photographs, the hor horrible Polaroids. Shout out to Polaroid. Uh, Kodak, if you still existed, you could sponsor the show. You know, squinting at the, the awful little Polaroids they're looking at, trying to figure out how many squadrons on that screen were destroyed, and then finding another envelope and sticking a patch in there. You know, you know I feel bad for those people retroactively. Be sure to write robot tank and the number of any of your robot tanks you destroyed on the bottom left-hand corner of the envelope. Oh, okay, well, there you go. That probably helps. Except when little Johnny screws up and writes, uh, you know, four squadrons on the envelope when really he destroyed six, and then he's all PO'd because he gets the wrong patch in the mail. So I feel bad for those people in the warehouse all over again. Botting needles in a haystack 5,000 miles away. The United States has the most complex, exact, and efficient deterrent defense surveillance system of any country on Earth. Shouldn't they have capitalized Earth? Anyway, this is due in part to an elaborate use of computers. Which, in 1983, kids reading this manual, that probably blew their minds. Computers, really? All I can do is play Oregon Trail. Deep inside hollowed-out Cheyenne Mountain... Hold on. Isn't that where War Games the movie was set? Directly west of Colorado Springs, Colorado, 
is an expansive bank of computers and security surveillance screens. These computers receive information from, from strategically positioned radar stations located all over the Earth. The name of the Defense Command Center is NORAD. Yeah, that's where they, the, much of the action in war games is set. It stands for North American Air Defense Command. NORAD's high-powered radar antennas continually scan the skies to detect all aerial movement and transmit relevant data to the computer center in Colorado. Many of the antennas have a 3,000-mile spanning range capability, and some of the biggest antennas can detect an object as small as a bouncing basketball 5,000 miles away, just about the distance from New York to Honolulu. Wasn't there a prototype for a War Games Atari game? Or am I wrong about that? I mean, I know about the uh, the the uh, prototype for the Cloak and Dagger game from the Cloak and Dagger movie, which is an excellent movie, by the way. But I was thinking there was one for War Games, too. I don't know. Someone uh, shout out to me if you have any information about that or if I'm just dreaming. The computers evaluate the data to determine the size, shape, direction, and speed of the moving objects. The data transmitted by the antennas is so detailed that the computers can even describe such physical features as what material the moving object is made of. I'm guessing after whoever wrote this manual put all that in there, the Secret Service came and took him out. How dare you reveal this highly secret information? And then his family never heard from him again. But hey, we got a good game out of it. Become a highly decorated veteran of Robot Tank. Tips from Alan Miller, designer of Robot Tank. Alan Miller is an award-winning senior designer at Activision, one of the giants in the field. He's created Checkers, Tennis, Ice Hockey, Star Master, and now Robot Tank. Hold on. Is Alan Miller on Twitter? I'm about to find out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alan Alda is. Hello, Alan Alda. Alan Miller. Third-year student studying strength conditioning. No, that's probably not him. Um, could it be Dr. Alan Miller? Hmm, probably not. I don't know. If anyone knows if Alan Miller is a tweeter, uh, let me know. So, Alan Miller says, Once you're locked in electronic battle, there's only one thing you can be sure of. Nothing ever stays the same. Enemy robot tanks continually sneak up on you. You'll frequently end up losing visibility for one reason or another, so practice aiming at enemy tanks using only the radar scan. Seriously, again, I really didn't use the radar scan. Anyway, if you can master this, he says, then you'll have better battling success at night or in fog. When there's no visibility, I suggest constantly maneuvering your robot tank to keep the enemy behind you so that the vulnerable front of your tank is safe. Then you can wait until conditions improve. If your tank is damaged and it's night, keep track of the time using the military clock. If it's close to 0500 hours, then you may decide to wait for the, the weather alert. Conditions may improve from the previous day, and your next offensive may prove more successful. Remember that you can neutralize enemy fire by shooting into it, but it's a risky tactic. Your miss could backfire and become a hit by your uh, hit for your attacker. P.S. When you've put plenty of distance between your robot tanks and the enemy, and all robotic communication is normalized, issue me a battle report. I'd love to know how you and your machines are doing. Mission accomplished. And that is how you play Robot Tank. Alright. Wikipedia opines that Robot Tank is similar in design to Battlezone, uh, the Battlezone arcade game, uh, and even more so to its 2600 port. The player remotely controls Robot Tank in 2019. Uh, I'm not sure how they're knowing, other than the commercial, I guess, 
that it's 2019. There was nothing in the manual that said it was 2019, and, and I'm not sure why that's relevant, other than in 1983, 2019 was a hell of a long time away, and the concept of robot tanks was not all that far-fetched. And I guess, as I mentioned earlier, it's sitting here today, it's really not all that far-fetched either. Ethan Nobles at the Atari Times in 2002 says that Robot Tank is obviously Activision's version of Battlezone, but the game was written so as to avoid licensing trouble with Atari, and this 1983 release competes favorably with the 2600 version of Battlezone. I love both of these games, but I do prefer Robot Tank, and that's probably because of the great graphics and overall depth of the game. Graphically, the game shows what talented programmers could produce for the 2600. Enemy tanks are only one color, but are fairly detailed and don't look as blocky as a lot of objects that have hurt the eyes of 2600 old owners for years. The game is viewed in first-person per perspective, in that the player sees his view from, according to the manual, a broadcast from the front of the tank. The sound is pretty good too, although it's nothing to write home about. The graphics and sound are fine, but what really makes the game shine is the absolute depth. The game is fairly complex for a 2600 title. The time changes as the game progresses, and the weather changes too, which adds a whole new dimension to the game. But wait, there's more. If the player's hit tank is hit by an enemy shell, that doesn't necessarily mean the vehicle is destroyed. Instead, it can be damaged. A damaged tread impacts the tank's ability to move and turn. Firing the cannon is a hit and miss affair if the gun has been popped by a shell. If the view screen or radar have taken damage, visibility is affected. As for goals, that's pretty simple. Blast as many tanks as possible. So there's a good amount of depth to the game, but it does suffer from some problems. Only one enemy appears on the screen at a time which means the game isn't realistic at all, but it would make a lot more sense to have the player rush by, rushed by two or three enemies. Also, tank, enemy tanks can't fire at the player unless his vehicle is facing them, which is odd and limits the challenge of the game quite a bit. Overall, a very solid title. NerdBacon.com gave Robot Tank 8 out of 10, and Atari HQ, after also noting the similarities, similarities to Battlezone, uh, says the graphics are pretty good, the game is very good, even surpassing the 2600 version of Battlezone, and gives graphics a 9, gameplay an 8, overall score of 8. Alright, well after the break, ah, it's 2019, robot tanks lumbering over the landscape. If only that was the worst of our problems this year. Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. Robot, robot. The people who say all of these pronunciations are rang. I mean, wrong. Alright, we're playing Robot Tank. So, let's do that right now. If I can reach the button. Yes, I can. Alright. Whoa. I was getting ready to talk there, enemy tank. Ha, ah, gotcha. The uh, screen that I'm looking at, what, what am I thinking of? One of the racing games with the, uh, the, the sand dunes or the pueblos or whatever off in the distance. I can't, maybe it's enduro. A lot about this game reminds me of enduro, except you don't get shot at in enduro. Here I'm lumbering along. The, uh, the bouncing of the tank feels realistic to me, not that I've been in a tank. 
Although, I could get nauseous if I look at it for too long. Ooh, my treads have been damaged, and it's nighttime, so I'm not moving very fast. Ooh, lost that tank, switching to reserve tank, and I'm only 22 hours in. Still nighttime. Uh, I like the change from day to night. I know you're out there. Nope, took out my treads again. Where are you? Snow alert. Well, that's peachy. Ooh, lost another tank. I was doing better than this uh, before I started recording. Daytime again, and yep, it's snowy. Got that tank. I've only gotten, okay, I've gotten three tanks now. Ugh. Got him. Four tanks. Ugh. Ooh, took out my radar. I really like how this game looks. The tanks are realistic. The little squares flying at you, maybe not so realistic, but you know what, that's okay. Ooh, lost another tank. I think I got one left. Ugh. Ooh, direct hit apparently. Mission ended. Um, Alright, well I'll talk about the rest of it in my... So here's the thing about Robot Tank segment. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about Robot Tank. I really like this game. Except that I, I realized throughout this show, a disturbing amount of time, I'm almost saying robot as robot, which is a weird old person thing to do. Uh, so I don't know what that means about me, but I will try not to do it. Robot Tank is just a really cool game. It, for all the reasons that I said in the reviews that I read earlier. It's a shooter, but it's got pretty detailed graphics. Not perfect, but it's a 2600 game. Um, I like the weather changes. I like the, uh, the the day and night changes. I like that you can be damaged without being destroyed. All that stuff is good. Feels a lot, looks a lot like Enduro, the race game, which is not the same kind of game, but has a lot of the same challenges. And Enduro is a great game too. So this is a good one. It's probably one that 
there are a lot of games that I do on the show that, frankly, I don't go back to very much anyway. And, but this is one that I would probably go back to pretty regularly. Um, and that, as always, that's the sign of a good game to me. If Do I want to keep playing it? Obviously, that means it's a pretty good game. It's story time on Atari Bytes. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Rosie the Riveter of Death. Hello again, robot rooters, tank thankers, fans young and old and cryogenically unfrozen. Welcome to Robot Tank Stadium. I'm your commentator, Electric Jack Uhoff. Tonight's bout promises to be one for the history books, or at least the repair shop. In the green corner, from every cheesy sitcom imagining of a robot ever, here's that wisecracking screwball of sass, Rosie Robot. Rosie Robot, by all appearances, is a 20-something woman with an enormous bow in her perfect hair, wearing overalls and gliding into the arena, leaning stiffly out of the top of the tank, a broad, never-wavering smile on her face. In stilted words, she says, I like the nightlife. I like to boogie. And kick butt. She blinks in time to her own words. On television screens at home, over melodramatic music, we see a large house on a quiet street. In voiceover, we hear Rosie still speaking in the same stilted speech. I arrived at the Gleason residence just when they needed me most. We see the Gleason's living room. Two precocious children are gleefully ransacking the place. Books all over the, uh, books all over the room, an overturned flower pot, pizza on the cat, as the detached dad sits reading one of the newspapers, at least until the boy cuts the paper in half with gardening shears. Mrs. Gleason enters the living room and throws up her hands in overacted sitcom fashion. This place is a zoo, I tell you, she says. The kids make animal noises. <laughs> Whatever are we going to do? Mrs. Gleason says, still overacting. Already on it, Gladys, Mr. Gleason says. The doorbell rings. Mrs. Gleason answers it, and an ethnic, ethnic stereotype in coveralls wheels in a large box, just about human-sized, actually, and Mr. Gleason stiffs him on the tip, and he exits. What is it, dear? Mrs. Gleason says. Salvation, Mr. Gleason answers. Like when Daddy doesn't order a second bean burrito, the girl kid mugs to the camera. <laughs> in comedic fashion, the Gleasons manage to get the box open. At first, there is stunned silence, and then Rosie steps out, the huge smile already in place. She's wearing the trademarked large bow in her hair and a tra traditional black-and-white maid's uniform. It's a girl, boy kid says. No kidding, doofus, girl kid says. <laughs> Girls by mail, the dad says. I love the postal service. In voiceover, Rosie describes a series of wacky sitcom adventures. It was a good life, although she's a robot. But since she never ages, eventually the Gleasons got old and died. So Rosie buried them in the backyard next to the four goldfish and some sort of slug thing buried previously. Rosie plays an audio clip of someone crying in an effort to convey emotion. The world outside the Gleasons 
yard was a hellish landscape, she says. I mean, it was 2019, after all. Every robot for itself. Well, except the mix-and-match mix and mat, mix and max bots. They have interchangeable parts. She grins at the camera. I have my friend Steve's teeth. The robotic giggling is unsettling. Rosie explains that she learned to fight from her run-ins with the biter gangs, sentient motorcycle cyborgs. Somehow she managed to overcome this bleak period and found herself in the tank, Robot Kind's premier combat arena. The announcer puts on a serious face. He keeps it in a drawer along with the frowny face, the smiley face, and the oh my god that stinks face. Each one attaches with a hex wrench that's usually hard to find, but fortunately it was available tonight. Rosie, the announcer says, your story is compelling and heart-wrenching. Rosie hands the announcer a a hex wrench. The announcer politely declines. What would winning in Robot Tank mean to you? The announcer asks. Rosie takes a deep breath, which is weird since she's a robot. What would it mean, she says. Seriously, does not compute. I do not. And then Rosie collapses because her battery died. Well, while Rosie recharges her battery pack, let's hear from your challenger. In the red corner, welcome, Death Metal. Clouds hover over the robot tank. An ominous fog rolls in. From its center, a monolith emerges and towers over the announcer. Welcome to the tank, Death Metal, the announcer says. Oppressive silence. The announcer hex screws on his no-face face because, frankly, Death Metal is a little scary. Death Metal, he says, trying to be brave. What would victory in the tank today mean to you? More of that oppressive silence. But then a tiny door opens in Death Metal's side, out of which a little wind-up toy mouse, no more than a few inches tall, marches out. The mouse looks into the camera and squeaks, Look into my eyes deeply! The viewing audience does, its collective senses assaulted by scenes of torment and carnage so vicious their souls ache from the strain. It's all over in a matter of seconds. The wind-up mouse leaves a single red rose on the battlefield and marches back inside of Death Metal. The announcer turns to the camera. Well, with that, I think it's time to set the stage for today's epic contest. Rosie Robot vs. Death Metal. Moments from now, the announcer is interrupted as Rosie leaps up, fully charged. Oh yeah, it's on, biatch. She poses. Sorry, sorry. The stadium, the tank, is suddenly silent. The two robotic warriors face off from opposite ends of the arena. Death Metal brandishes a titanium buzzsaw. Rosie the robot brandishes an innocent-looking daisy, which can snap out whip-like tentacles of electrical thorns. The referee was a device that sort of looked like a cross between a 1980s-style boombox and a goat. Boom Goat called for the battle to start, and... Billy woke up. The boy sat upright in bed. Impossibly blue eyes blink in the confusion of just regaining consciousness. He tries to remember what he had just dreamt. Robot tank? It was so silly. Billy couldn't imagine a world of walking, talking robots living independent lives, let alone fighting each other. Didn't people fight enough on their own? Why would their robots fight too? By choice, even. 
What kind of world would that be? Billy clears his mind of such thoughts. He leaps from his bed and marches out of the room to begin his day. As he leaves the sleep chamber, the charger cord detaches from the wall and auto recoils neatly into android Billy's left thigh, the little compartment sealing itself tightly. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers. Roll on over to the robot that is Apple Podcasts. It's inevitable, really. Just accept our Apple overlords and leave a review of this show. Thank you very much. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. And, of course, you can leave us a voicemail if you like. I'm not going to answer the phone. Henry's not going to answer the phone. You can just leave us a message and maybe we'll play it on the show. 563-265-1978. Thanks. Please consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page or picking up Atari Bytes shirts and mugs in the AB underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com. Hey, do you love Snoopy? Do you know someone who does? Yes. Yes, you do. Check out my show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, your one-stop shop for all things in and around the Peanuts universe. The comic strip, obviously. The TV specials, the movies, the merchandise, the commercials, the related projects, things inspired by Peanuts comic strips. We've had authors, we've had playwrights, we've had illustrators. We do it all over there if it has anything to do with Snoopy and the gang. So go check out that show on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Ms. Pac-Man. But Bill, you say, didn't you already do Ms. Pac-Man on Atari Bytes? Why, yes, yes I did. But we have not done it on the show for the Atari 7800. Oh yeah. But next week we will. So check that out. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.